Our reading today will be out of uh, Psalm 143. That's 143, verses 7 through 12. Psalm 143, verses 7 through 12. Answer me quickly, O Lord, my spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, or I will become like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear your loving kindness in the morning, for I trust in you. Teach me the way in which I should walk, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. I take refuge in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For the sake of your name, O Lord, revive me. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble, and in your loving kindness, cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul, for I am your servant. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these uh, words just to remind us that um, you are the one we need to pray to and uh, look to for deliverance, Father, and we praise you that we can do that. Help us to remember that throughout our day um, and uh, just, you know, take comfort in it and be strengthened by it, Lord. And we thank you for Steve, his message today. Um, open our ears, our hearts to grow by it and just uh, give him clarity as he speaks and just let your word go out, Father, for it sanctifies us. We praise you for that. We thank you for today. In Christ's name, amen. Good morning. Good to see you all this Lord's Day. Glad that we can be together here to worship the Lord, to hear his word, to have some fellowship together. Might feel a little cooler. I don't know if you do or not. We got new AC units in. There's two right back there, one over there, and a new one coming in here. We're going to have four. And it might even feel a little cleaner. You know, it's a new unit, a little crisper, a little cooler. I don't know. I, I, I did this. Now, if I made a mistake, you let me know. But we're just, we're, I was talking to Raphael, they're experimenting in terms of, you know, what temperature to do and how many units, because we can put on one, two, three, four, whatever we need. And so they had set at 69, and I said, you know, I feel fine, but I think some of the people might feel a little bit cooler, so I had it turned up to 70. So here's the point. If you guys have any opinions about the temperature and how it feels, let us know, let, particularly let Giovanni know later. Again, we always like to have it a little bit on the cool side to make sure you stay awake. But we don't want to be too cold, so you can't hear the message. So anyway, that's all. So we appreciate your input on that, okay? Also, I just want to say as an introduction that this is going to be message, a real contrast to what goes on tonight from about 6.30 to 9.30 on TV, this message, okay? And you're going to see why very, very shortly, okay, that you know what's going on. You know what's going on tonight at 6.30, don't you? You do? Okay, most of you do. Anyway, it... it <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Super Bowl, okay? Anyway, 200 million people, they say more than ever before, are planning on watching it tonight. So, But I would say this is a more important time. I'm glad you are here. We're talking again about a very important subject in God's Word. We looked at it last week a little bit. That's a subject of perse- persecution. It's a subject that's relevant to you and to every Christian in this world. If If you see and listen to what's going on in the country, it's pretty obvious that there's more and more persecution 
taking place. Not long ago, I heard some news person talk about, quote, white Christians, end quote, in a defaming and derogatory way. So that's pretty big. When you talk about the Christians as being sort of the bad people in the news, and that's happening more and more. Christians, as I believe you know, have lived in relative peace, enjoyed many freedoms in our country that's about 250 years old now. Uh, and again, with all this persecution, I believe the time is coming when these freedoms, speech, assembly, religion, etc., will be curtailed and maybe cut off completely, which I believe then will lead to more and more persecution in our country. Turn to Matthew chapter 5, 10 through 12. We again looked at this last week. There's a lot to be said here. Um, I... Um, taking these two Sundays now, but I believe in the future I'd like to take some more time because it is such an important subject. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 to 12. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Today we're looking at two Beatitudes that really are very, very similar. Some people just put them into one. But they talk about how God blesses Christians who are persecuted. First, I don't want to do some review from last week, okay? First of all, we can define persecution as being hated, insulted, um, or discriminated against, or as being physically hurt, tortured, or killed for believing in Christ, for living for God, living for the Lord. People who persecute Christians are opposed to you and the gospel. They don't want to hear that they're sinners. They don't want to hear that they're guilty. They don't want to hear that they deserve to be in hell for their sin. They don't want to hear that at all. Next, the Bible gives us many examples of people who are persecuted, many, but there's three primary ones that really stand out. One is David from the Old Testament. You read a lot about him in First and Second Samuel. Also, you read a lot about him and his persecution in the book of Psalms. In fact, the book of Psalms, more than any other book, has information about persecution. Secondly, there is Paul. You read about Paul's persecution in the book of Acts. Also, then, one chapter or one book is 2 Corinthians 11. There's a lot in there about persecution in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. 2 11 is a whole lot there too. Um, thirdly, of course, is Jesus Christ. He was persecuted. In fact, I just, this just came to me this morning, maybe it was yesterday, that the Palm Sunday message, which will be another four or five weeks, I'm going to do it on the persecution of Christ, how Christ suffered for us. That, I believe, is going to be the title. Hebrews 12.3 says, Consider Jesus who endured such suffering by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So important. That verse is really, really key for each of our lives here. Thirdly, there's red persecution and white persecution. Red persecution is extreme. It's like torture, the imprisonment, the killing of Christians. As you know, it's not happening much. Well, it doesn't happen at all in this country. I don't hear of Christians being killed for their faith in the United States, at least not yet. Um, but the, the places where it is the most is Asia and Africa and the Middle East. That's where this red persecution, bloody persecution, the killing of Christians for their faith is taking place. Here's some examples of white persecution, being, sl being slandered, 
or harassed or discriminated against, being ignored or canceled. And of course, I think you all, if you have your eyes open, your ears open a little bit, you can see this is happening more and more in our country the last 5, 10, 15 years. But oftentimes, white persecution turns into red persecution. I'm convinced that will happen in our country sooner or later. Fourth, there will be red persecution during the Great Tribulation. The Great Tribulation is, is that which occurs in the last few years before the coming of Christ and the rapture of the church. The, the targets of this great persecution is primarily against the, 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 the Christians and the Jews. And it's Matthew chapter 24, it's verses, verses um, 9 through 14 that talks about the persecution against the Christians. And it's Matthew 24, verses 15 to 26 that talks about the persecution against the Jews. So it's all right there. Matthew 24, verses 9 through 26, persecution against Christians and Jews. Also, you'll see it in Revelation chapter 12. Fifthly, fifthly all believers will be blessed for being persecuted for Christ and in two primary ways. One is that you will be ones who inherit the kingdom of heaven and two, you'll be greatly rewarded. I talked last week briefly about some people, some Christians won't be rewarded at all. They'll make it to heaven like escaping through the fire. Others rewarded some, but others will be greatly rewarded in these verses here. Great reward for those who are persecuted for Christ. That's what we're saying. We're saying. Finally, when we're persecuted, we're to rejoice and we'll be glad. And the reason is because it's an honor and a privilege that we can suffer for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that then is just a summary. I would encourage you to get the notes or to listen to the message online to hear the entirety of that message. Today I want to look at John 15, 18 to 27. And this is what Jesus said about persecution. There's so many texts that we could look at, but I wanted to pick this one first, what he said Go there, John 15. This is what he's telling his disciples that Thursday night before he was crucified. John chapter 15, verses 18 to 27. I'm just going to go verse by verse here through these verses. Verse by verse, this text here. First, verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you're of the world, the world would love its own, but, the, but because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. This context, the world, is referring to the unbelievers on this earth, the ones who are unsaved, to the non-Christians who are living on this earth. And the first phrase, if the world hates you, is conditional. And, and the point here is a conditional statement, but it's true because the world does hate you. As Christians, we are light in the Lord. We are spiritually light. We are holy. We are righteous. It's a general statement about us as Christians. Unbelievers are spiritually dark. They are unholy. They are unrighteous. And they don't like being around Christians, okay, in general, those who are really living for the Lord. They don't like it. And the reason is because they don't want their deeds exposed by either our words or our lifestyle. It says in John chapter 3, 19, 20, light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light. There it says very clearly, same thing. Everyone who does evil, true evildoers are against the true Christians. That's what we understand. And so if you are a Christian and are living like a Christian, then you'll be hated by this sinful world. You'll be hated by the unbelievers then who are living on this earth. 
Next, we understand this world is controlled, it's run by the devil. That verse I've mentioned many times, 1 John 5, 19, we know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Now, we all understand, I believe, that yes, God is sovereign over this whole world, but God has given quite a bit of leeway to the devil. It says, again, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So the whole world then is controlled by the devil and his demons and evil people. That's what's going on. And, and, and this world then is strongly opposed to you in the gospel, not just a little bit, strongly. They hate the gospel. We see in this world, whether it's in academia, whether it's in the government, whether it's in the entertainment industry, whether it's in the media, we, we see all this. We see all this opposition. All this sin is continually being promoted in our schools, continually being promoted in politics. It's being promoted then in the music and in the movies and on the news really with regularity. I've mentioned this before, before, is that, you know, how is this? What are some of the big takeaways, big things you can look at? Well, the evolution is one of the huge ones. I mean, this has affected our schools for, I'm not sure if it's 60, 70 years now in a strong way. But where it's being taught in schools, and the evolution, of course, is just a big lie. And it's basically saying there is no God, no God created this world, or if he is, he's off sitting in a corner and didn't do anything, just let it happen, which is not true. And so basically it diminishes God or completely takes them out of the picture. So that's bad to tell all these kids in all these schools throughout the last 50, 60, 70 years, whatever it's been, that there's no God. That's in effect what they're saying. That's huge. That's huge. Second, we have this CRT. I'm not going to talk much about critical race theory, but you know what it does is, is it says in Genesis 1, we're made in the image of God, and, and this CRT theory really separates people puts people at odds with one another relative to your race or your color of your skin. That's what it does. We don't need C-R-T. We need C-H-R-I-S-T. Get it? Not C-R-T. We need Christ. Christ is the answer. We talked about this last week. I believe it was maybe the week before. Ephesians chapter 2. Christ is the one that brings peace between people and not any theory like this. Then, of course, there's the trans, trans movement, which is really sad. Again, you go back to Genesis 1 and the trans movement says that who knows what gender you are, but Genesis 1 makes it very clear God created them male and female. That is it, period, black and white. And if people don't like it, they're disagreeing with God himself. That's it. That's all I have to say about it, okay? It's very, very, very clear. But these are lies. And as Christians, we need to be careful, especially if you're parents or even grandparents, careful about what's being taught in school. I, I, I tell people like Giovanni, you watching what's going on with your grandkids? you got to watch it. You, you can't be asleep at the wheel uh, in this whole area. What's being taught in our schools? We must be careful about watching the world's movies or listening to the, to the, the music of this world. We must be very careful about sharing the jokes that, that the world shares. We must, be, must not believe everything that the world says. There are so many lies out there. Golly, I can't believe it. So many, so many lies in so many different areas. And so the, Jesus says that this world system doesn't like you. In fact, it hates you, and you shouldn't be surprised. That verse in 1 Peter 4 says, don't be surprised by the fiery ordeal among you. Don't be surprised. Now, I want to say this here. I'm convinced that we live in a rather unique country um, in that there's not been that much persecution, more of the white persecution, but not much We've been very, very blessed compared to other countries in the world. I've not done a deep study of other countries throughout the last four or five. I haven't done it 5,000 years. 
but it's clear that we have it good here. But what's he say here? Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised what's coming down the pike. Don't be surprised if this persecution is going to get worse and worse and worse. And it will. There's no doubt about it. It's coming. It's just the timing and how it all comes about. Again, remember, Christ was hated first. And if we're Christ's followers, then as his followers, we then will be hated and persecuted too. That is what's, what's going to happen. The main reason it says in these verse here, in verse 19, that you're persecuted is because God chose you out of this world, Ephesians 1.4. You know this verse, he chose us in him. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. This verse in 2 Thessalonians 2.13, it says God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation. Very clearly, this, this truth, this doctrine of being chosen by God. We did not choose him. Some say, well, we chose him, so we chose us. Not true at all. He chose us and gave us then the grace and the ability then to put our trust in him to repent of our sins. That's indeed what happened. God then, he wants you to be his holy people. He wants you to live in a holy life so that you then can be a witness for him, so that you then can minister to others, so that you then can convey the truth of the gospel to the unbelievers. That's what God wants you to do. If you start living like the world, the world's going to like you. And maybe this has happened in your life. Maybe you weren't doing so good and you're a Christian. You sort of got off a little bit and, hey, the world likes you that way. They accept you. But if you're living for God, if you love God, if you're not living like the world, not living like the people in the world, then, then the world will hate you. That, that's the truth. And the possibility is very good that you'll be persecuted in some way, shape, or form. John 15, 20. Next verse here. says here, remember the word that I have said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. This is a very important principle, an easy one, really. Jesus is God and man. He's perfect. He always told the truth. He always loved everyone. Always, always, always. God and man. And they persecuted him. Here's God in flesh, on the earth, and he was persecuted, and he was perfect, you see? And if, if Jesus is your master, and he is supremely important, as we know he is, and he is over you, and then you are his slave, what's the conclusion? You can't escape it. Conclusion is obvious, and you then will be persecuted as well. And so, Jesus, our master, our Lord is persecuted, and if you're, per if, 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 he, if you're following him, then you'll be persecuted as well. It says this in 1 Peter 2.21, pretty clear statement. If you've been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you. The context is you've been called for the purpose of suffering. So one of the purposes that God has for your life is to suffer for him. You have been called for this purpose, for Christ also suffered for you. That's what we understand. So important. I, I want to read just a, a couple stories here. Um, I was, I, I have this, um, it, it's a, it's sort of like a devotional, but it's a history devotional. You might have seen it, but it's interesting how many of these, you know, you read day by day, how many relate to persecution. This is from um, 1555. I'll just read this. It says, Bourne survived the uproar, but Bradford did not. Three days later, he was arrested on charges of sedition. 
Bradford remained in prison for 16 months. Then on January 12, 22, 1555, the Roman Catholic bishops questioned Bradford. They pronounced him guilty of fostering the attempt on Bourne's life and sentenced him to death by burning. Bradford spent the next months preaching to his fellow prisoners twice a day. Then one afternoon, the wife of the prisoner, prison keeper came to him very troubled and says, Oh, Mr. Bradford, Bradford, I bring you heavy news. Tomorrow you must be burned. Your chain is now a bind, and soon you must go to Newgate. Bradford took off his cap and, lifting up his eyes to heaven, said, I thank God for it. I've looked for the same a long time, and therefore it cometh not suddenly. The Lord make me worthy thereof. Early that evening, Bradford said goodbye to the friends he had made in prison and spent the evening alone in prayer. His captives moved him to Newgate Prison late that night. The next morning, about nine, Bradford was led out of the Newgate to the field where the heretics were burned. When Bradford arrived at the stake, he lay face down on the ground and prayed silently. Then rising to his feet and removing his coat, he walked to the stake. Turning to the young man who was to be burned with him, he said, Be of good comfort, brother. We shall have a merry supper with the Lord this night. As he was tied to the stake, Bradford warned those around him, quote, Straight is the way and narrow is the gate that leadeth to eternal salvation, and few there be findeth. The next is about two young ladies. This is in the 1680 over, I think, in um, Scotland. A lot of persecution in Scotland. It's really amazing. But anyway, with their song still ringing in the chamber, the bishop read a single, and they, these two young ladies were singing, the bishop read a single indictment condemning both Isabel and Marion to death by hanging. Marion returned to her cell and wrote, I desire to bless the Lord for my lot. It was but little I knew of him before I came to prison, but now he has said to me, because he lived, I shall live also. Kind has he been to me since he brought me, brought me out to witness for him. I've never sought anything from him, but that was for his glory since I came to prison. But he granted me my desire. I found him in everything that hath come my way, ordering it to himself for his own glory. And how I bless him that thoughts of death are not terrible to me. He hath made me as willing to lay down my life for him as I've ever was willing to live in this world. Goes on to say, in her separate cell, Isabel, the other lady, said this, I lay down my life for owning and adhering to Jesus Christ, but what shall I say to the commendation of Christ in his cross? I bless the Lord, praise to his holy name that hath made my prison a palace to me. Oh, how great is his love to me that he, that he hath brought me forth to testify against the abominations of the times and kept me from feigning hitherto and hath made me rejoice in him. Now I bless the Lord that ever he gave me a life to lay down for him. Isabel Allison and Marion Harvey had laid down their lives together in the grass market scaffold on January 26, 1681. As Isabel went up the ladder, she said, Oh, ye his enemies, what will we do? What will ye do? Whether will you fly in that day? For now there is a dreadful day coming on all the enemies of Jesus Christ. Marion Harvey's words on the scaffold were, quote, I am come here today for avowing Christ to be head of his church and king in Zion. Oh, seek him, sirs, seek him, and you shall find him. I sought him and found him. I held him, and he would not let me go. So encouraging. <laughs> These godly saints who were living for the Lord, it's just it's really amazing to, 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 to read those. And many, many stories like that. It's, there are so many in this culture where we have, you know, you can read, have books and things are written down and history keeps things. We can read so many stories about, again, about what, what, what people went through for the Lord. We continue on. Back to John chapter 15, verse 21. 
All these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. This is an important principle. Very important. If you're persecuted, always remember that it's not about you. It's about Christ and his name, about his reputation. It says, therefore, his namesake. Psalm 23, 4 says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And you know what the next verse is? It says, even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. So right after, for his namesake, this verse of, man, times are tough. And you know the next verse after that? What's it say then? He says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. The context of those two verses is difficulty and trials, and I would say suffering as well. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The point is this, if you're persecuted, it's not about you. It's about Christ. It's about, it's about the gospel. It's about his reputation. You never want to say, hey, look at me. I'm getting persecuted. Look how important I am. That's not, never focus on yourself. Never think that if you're being persecuted, it's about you. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's about God and Jesus Christ and the gospel. Yes, you're Christ's ambassador. Yes, you're a servant, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and he is supremely important. And in reality, the enemy is persecuting God and Jesus Christ, but they're coming after you because they can't get to God and Christ. You understand that? The persecution is against them foremost. That's what it is. So when you're persecuted... Know then that it's for God's purposes and glory. And you also know this, too, that God is sovereign over persecution, and he will use it then for his purposes and glory. It says, I think it's Revelation 13, if anyone is destined to captivity, to captivity he goes. See that? If anyone is destined to captivity, and so sometimes you can think about it and worry about it, wonder what's going to happen to me. God's in charge. Trust him. Trust him. And he will give you, like we read those two stories, he'll give you the, the grace you need to go through the persecution that he wants you to go, to go through. God will use his persecution so his grace and his strength and his character can be seen in you. You turn to Romans. I'm not going to look at it here. Romans chapter 5, 3 to 4, those verses. It talks about how you get peace with the Lord, and then right away it goes into, but you're also going to have some tribulation. Also tribulation. God will give you the, the character to get through it. God will use persecution for the sake of the gospel. Turn to Philippians 1. This is probably a, a, a really a key passage on this. Philippians chapter 1, 12 to 14. This is Paul writing. And of course, we know Paul wrote this letter when he was in prison. Verse 12. I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances. What are the circumstances? He's in jail. My circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So you might think, well, the worst thing can happen to me is I'm going to jail for Christ. No, it could be the best thing for the gospel, for Christ. So that my imprisonment and the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. That most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. So we see his example. That is, God then will use persecution for the sake of the gospel, and God then will allow Christians to be persecuted so that other Christians are encouraged and emboldened when they see their faith in the Lord. They see their love for God. Verse 21, back to John 15. These 
all these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know the one who sent me. Did you get that? They don't know the one who sent me. Who's the one who sent him? It's God the Father. Again, we see this connection in the Gospel of John. You see it all over the place, this continued connection between God the Father and Jesus Christ, his Son, and we see it here again. They're, they're always working together. I mean, we know Christ on earth, but he was in continual communication with the Father through the Holy Spirit, and so they're working together, they're communicating together, that's what was going on. We know that the Father sent the Son to this earth, and the Son did exactly for those 33 years, did exactly what the Father wanted him to do. That's what took place. Unbelievers don't know this. In fact, <laughs> there's a lot of false religions out there, a lot of cults, so they don't believe that Jesus Christ. We had two people come to our door yesterday. Uh, Marcia talked to them briefly, but, you know, these believe they're Jehovah Witnesses, and they don't believe that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. They might say he is a God, but there's a lot of religions like that. And so you have religions like that that might hear about Jesus. They don't understand that Jesus is God in the flesh. They don't understand then that God the Father sent his own son, Jesus, to this earth. They don't realize then that Jesus Christ perfectly represented, perfectly represented his Father on earth. Amazing. They don't realize that if they reject you as a Christian, they're also then rejecting Jesus Christ. They're also rejecting God the Father. And in really, in essence, they're rejecting the Holy Spirit as well. It's important to think about that. If you're being persecuted, it's not just about you. It's really not much about you at all. It's about God and Christ and the Holy Spirit. That's, that's what we're saying. We continue here, John 15, 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned, but now they have no excuse for their sin. This, this verse about, about sin, how does this verse about sin relate to the persecution that we are talking about um, Jesus is, is here, and he's saying that he's, he's telling people about their sin. But he's not saying that people are only sinners when they know that they're sinners, okay? Because people are sinners. We know this in Psalm 51, that people are sinners from the moment of conception. But what he's saying here, when people hear, when the people truly hear that they're sinners, then then they, then they realize, hey, I'm guilty. They realize that, man, they deserve to go to hell. That's what we're saying here. That's what's, what's happening here. And so when people then know that they're sinners and they're guilty, they have no excuse for their sin, turn to Romans 1. I've, uh, I, I love this section, the whole chapter, but particularly Romans 1, 18 to the rest of the chapter here. Um, more than anything else, it distills the problem that we have in the world and the problem that's in a a person's heart. Verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. A key word that's found in these next few verses I'm reading is the word truth. Unbelievers are suppressing the truth about God and about their sin. It goes on, but because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. Marsh and I, we watched some nature show, she probably more than me, I'm just blown away. I mean, I just can't believe this creation in this world, you know, and we got this bird feeder back there, and Marcia knows the birds better. Than they. It's phenomenal, this, the beauty of what God has done. And the world, the creation, reveals to people the truth about God. Since the creation, verse 20, since the creation of the world is invisible attributes, his eternal power, divine nature have clearly been seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Unbelievers are without excuse. Very important verse there. 
Even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculation. Their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. You see that all the time. I, I can't help but think that if you've talked to anybody all who's not a Christian and had some lengthy discussion, you can see, man, they're rejecting the truth and they're fools. That's what God says. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible incorruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their heart to impurity so that the bodies would be dishonored among them. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. That's a key verse. The truth of God is out there. It's evident. It's known. God is the creator, and they exchanged it for uh, the truth of God for life and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So tonight... A lot of people, I mean, I'm not saying you can't watch the game tonight. It's fine. But a lot of people watching it are worshiping the creature and not the creator. It is encouraging, though, to hear some of these players and, and that are, are Christians and will clearly say that. So that's, that's, that's always a, a, a positive thing there. And so people then don't like to hear this message about sin. They don't want to hear that they're sinners. They don't want to be told that they've done something wrong, and they don't want to feel guilty, but they feel guilty because they are guilty. I don't know if you know people, anybody like unbelievers who, you know, they, 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 they feel guilty, and they try to assuage their guilt. They try to get rid of it some way, okay? I, I, that happens a lot. Sinners then don't like this message about sin and they usually don't like the messenger who tells them about the sin. So what is the unbeliever to do if he's got this person who's telling about his sin? He cannot listen to the message, or he can try to get rid of the messenger, okay? Acts 17, or excuse me, Acts 7, the story about Stephen, is the classic story uh, on this particular point here. There's the message and the messenger, and they had to get rid of Stephen. Let's, I'm going to read these verses here, 51. Acts seven fifty one to the end of the chapter. Here's Paul, here's Stephen talking. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You're doing just as your fathers did. He was pretty open, wasn't he? <laughs> he really he really laid the cards on the table. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick. The Spirit was working their hearts. They began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they crowd out, cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears. Why did they cover their ears? They didn't want to hear the truth. They were so convicted. And then what they do? They rushed at him with one impulse. When they'd driven him out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. 
You see that? that that's a classic. And this, this is the first martyr in the church was this Stephen here with a, a classic story that they don't like the message and therefore they don't like the messenger. But the honest truth is, and you know this, the message really comes from God. They don't like the message, they don't like God. That's what we're saying. So anyway, this is at the heart of most persecution. Non-Christians then persecute Christians because they don't like them telling them the truth. They don't want to be told that they're wrong. They don't want to be told that they're sinners. They don't want to be told that they're guilty. And that's the way it's been throughout history. You go back and all these prophets were persecuted the time before Christ 2,500 years ago. Then you had the time of, of Christ. We know that Christ himself was persecuted. I, I read this last week, a great classic verse, John 7, 7. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that his deeds are evil. And I've, I've told you this. We need to love the unbelievers. We need to be nice to them. We need to be kind and giving to them. That's one way to love. We also love by telling them the truth. So they like it when you do nice things for them, right? They don't like it when you tell them the truth. That's, that's what we're saying. And so Jesus was persecuted, the apostle persecuted, and throughout the church age we've had, I don't know how many different martyrs. I, I mentioned from that one uh, site on, uh, online, I uh, can't remember the name of it, but I mentioned 4,761 people died in 2021 alone. That's what they estimate around the world, people that died for their faith. Now, related to this, one of the main reasons people do good works, we talked about people assuaging their guilt, getting rid of the guilt. People do good works is so they think that good works then will absolve them of their sin and their guilt. That's what they think is going to happen. And yes, People might feel better when they do good works, but they're not better. Because the only way that a person can have his sins absolved for and taken away is through Jesus Christ. We know that. My story here, real quickly, is, is back when I was, this is back in the 60s, probably, but I was in um, elementary school and junior high. They called it junior high in Iowa, junior high and high school. I was a very devout Catholic, okay? Um, Good Catholics would go to church every Sunday. Devout Catholics go to confession on a regular basis. I was a regular confession goer. And let me explain why. I'd go every two to three weeks, go to confession, go to the church. These little confessionals, you Catholics know what this is, a little, little box there, and the priest is on the other side. And, and this is actually what I said. I never forgot it. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been three weeks since my last confession. Okay, that's what I said. Then we'd start talking. I'd share my sins, you know, my brief sins, and more major stuff, but shared a few things there. And then he, you know, absolved me and said, okay, now say three Our Fathers and two Hail Marys. So I go outside then. I kneel down on the kneelers and I say the little prayers. And I walk outside, and I felt so good. I felt a tremendous relief. That's why I went. I, I felt guilty as a young person. Not that that was a super bad person. I just had this conscience that was very sensitive. And I wanted to go to confession because I felt so good at going. Wow, this is relief. But didn't do a thing. It didn't do a thing. Good works don't work in terms of helping us get to heaven. Not at all. The verse, you know the verse, John 1:29. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes the way the sins of the world. It's only the Lamb of God. It's not your good works. Not at all. It can't work. So the person who keeps rejecting the truth about sin and guilt then and hell is rejecting God and Christ and is becoming hardened and calloused in his attitude towards God. I, I just read this today. I'm going through Romans in my quiet times. Romans 2. This verse, this is heavy, 
okay? You think of unbelievers that you know, and this is what's going on in the life. This verse sums it up here. Because of your, your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of God's wrath. The unbeliever who keeps going through life and keeps sinning and keeps rejecting God is storing up more and more and more wrath. Okay, there are degrees of judgment in hell. There are degrees of a blessing in heaven. That's sobering. People that you know, or maybe even family members you might know, that they're not Christians and they're not interested in Christ. They are storing up wrath. That, that's what is going on. Let's go back to John 15. John 15 and 23. He who hates me hates my father also. Again, we see that God and Jesus Christ are united in every way. A person rejects the fact that he then is a sinner, then he's rejecting Christ and he's rejecting God. Very, very clearly. But it's not just rejection, it's hate. Again, people don't like hearing that they're sinners. They don't like being told that they're guilty of their sin. They don't like being told that they are going to hell because of their sin. And what we understand is they hate those who tell them these things. Now, I said before that we live in a country where it's relatively, I say in an outward way, peaceful. But it's going to get worse. And here's the verse, I believe, that the one verse that sums it up better than any verse in the Bible is this one right here. It's Matthew 24, verse 9. Matthew 24, 9. And this is, again, the end time. End time. This is right around the time the Antichrist comes on this earth. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. You'll be hated by all nations because of my name. So this tribulation is this persecution. I know some believers, well-meaning believers, believe that tribulation is God's wrath. It is not God's wrath. There is a marked distinction between tribulation and God's wrath. That's another whole subject. But the point here is this, is that in the end times, right before the return of Christ, this persecution will be massive. It will be global. I mean, what does it say there? By all nations. And what's the severity? Killing. That's heavy duty. I, I say it's coming to this country because we're one of the nations. Okay? It's coming to this country, whether it's in five years or 20 or I don't know, 50. I don't know. All I know is I, I tell, particularly tell people younger than me. I mean, I, I tell this. I, yes, I tell Giovanni this. I says, Giovanni, make sure you tell your kids and your grandkids. I say that to all of you here. Tell your kids and your grandkids what this says here. This is important. This is vitally important to understand this truth. And to be honest, it's not taught much about at all. And this year, you're going to hear me here in probably another four, five, six messages on persecution. It is so important that you understand the Bible is filled with truth, important truth on this whole subject here. Let me say this. This example, I wasn't thinking of saying that. I will. There's, there's one country in this world that's against us. A lot of countries, but one. It's China, okay? In 2021, 342 Chinese crossed the southern border. 2022, it was 2,000. These are mainly young men. You know what is 2023? 24,000. When you go back to Matthew 24, you just right there in verse 9, Verses 4 through 8 are about the birth pains, about the earthquakes and the problems and the difficulties and the troubles. That's even leading up to the tribulation. 
So I believe this country is going to be going through more and more tribulation. That, what I just said, is one example, okay? Who knows what that means? I don't know. But I just know that, that we got some difficulties coming our way. Finally, back to John. The last two verses here. John 15, verse 24, If I had not done among them the works which no one ever else did, they would not have sinned, but now they have both seen and hated me and my Father as well. This verse is very similar to verse 22, where it says, If I had not come and spoken to them, that is, we speak to people about their sin and things, and they get convicted and they don't like us, but this one here is talking about the works. The works. Okay, that's, that's what we're saying here. When people see the works of God, when people see that God is working in our lives and that we are vastly different than them, different than them in life and character and in godliness, they don't like that, okay? And so the point is this, is, 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 is uh, it's by hearing the word of God and it's by seeing the works of God that people realize that they're, that they're sinners. That, that's what we're saying. That, that, that's the point here. And so people then reject the fact that they're sinners and they're guilty of sin and deserve to be in hell then are rejecting God and Christ, but they're also then, as I said before, and I repeat myself, but we need to understand this, they're rejecting us as well. John 15, 25. They have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. We've talked about why people persecuted Jesus Christ and why they persecute Christians. We've talked about why non-Christians don't like hearing the truth about the gospel and God and sin because they don't like being told that they're unrighteous. They don't like being told that they're, they're doing something wrong. They don't like being told that they're not holy. They don't like being told that their lifestyle is abhorrent to God, and that's what it is. And they don't for sure like being told that they deserve to be punished. They do not want to hear that. But this is the truth, the truth of God. And as Christians, we need to be ones who share the truth by our life and by our words. And again, when we're doing this, we're, we're loving them. And I said before, we're to be kind to, to people. I mean, if we are unkind people and share the truth, that's not a good testimony. You all know that. Be kind to people in your speech. Be giving to them and also then share the truth. And then... It says that phrase, they hated me without a cause. Here's the point of that verse. What that's saying is this, is, is if they hate you, then they have no good reason for hating you because you've been loving to them in your words and in your deeds. They have no good reason, no valid reason, no good reason at all for hating you. And that's why it says there, they hated me without a cause. They, they hated Christ without a valid reason. He was perfect, perfect in every way, everything he did and everything that he said. So in all this, then, we're to love our enemies. Three things, three concluding points. Love your enemies, pray for enemies, and if God gives opportunity, share the gospel with them. Three words, love them, pray for them, and share the gospel with them as God gives opportunity. Yes, we may be persecuted for sharing the truth of the gospel to people, and persecution, as I mentioned last week, second Corinthians 4, 17, is momentary light persecution, momentary light tribulation. It's very, very small, but they, unbelievers, will be punished in hell forever for rejecting the truth of the gospel. But yet, as we share the truth, what God's going to do is he's going to share, he's going to save people. And typically, it's the minority, as we, that one person I just read quoted that verse, that 
the way is narrow to salvation and not many find it. So the minority of people get saved, but we are to keep going. And, and sometime in the future, we'll look at particularly Mark 13, also Luke chapter 21, because it talks about persecution. And if you are suffering, what you need to have first in your mind is sharing the gospel with them. That's what you need to do. Okay. Let me just f- conclude with one. It's really some statistics that, that illuminate a very important point for all of us here. I do this blog post. I've got 296 posts done so far. In the last 30 days, I just checked this out last night and this morning, last 30 days, there's, there's, there's one post that is number one. That as you add up all the other posts, it's number one. Okay, it's, it's first. In fact, not just first when you add them up. 23 days out of the last 30 days, it was number one in the list. I get this list of, the, you know, every day people, there's anywhere 20, 30 things they read, different posts. It's number one. It's number one. And four days, number two. Wow, this is really important. Not only that, but you go back to 2022, in this particular post, number one for 2022, number one for 2023, and so far, number one for this year already. I looked this morning, and it was first on the list again. It's in Spanish. You know what it is? You know what it is, because it relates to the subject today, right? The persecution of the church before the coming of Christ is the number one Spanish post in the last three years. The question is why? Now, you Spanish here might have some reasons. I don't know. I'm not sure. Well, you know, finally hit me. This is pretty simple. Because God wants the Spanish to know. That's why. God is, and I I did the total, it's like 40,000 different views of this one post. The the persecution of the church before the coming of Christ. It's number 48. In fact, I haven't done this yet. I need to read 48 in English. What does it say? It's been so long. What does it say? But the point is, God is waking people up. I was talking to Bob Hunt last night. He's coming next week. He said the one thing he realizes is that people, that people um, are more and more interested in the truth of Christ coming. It's just obvious. They had, a, they had, a, they had a, one example of that is last year they had 120 people to this conference. They just finished. Don Myrna went there well, a week ago, whenever, two weeks ago. Um, but it's twice as much this year. People are just more interested. But, but the thing that struck me is, okay, why is that post not number one for the English? I think partly because we're softer. As a country, we're softer. And we need to wake up. Might God be kind and sovereign towards us in waking this country to what is coming? The Spanish are starting to get it. Read it. Number 48, the persecution of the church before the coming of Christ. It's going to get worse and worse. But we've got to read these one verses here. We've got to end in some good verses. I mean, all the verses are good. But some that give us hope, I've shared it before. I said before that the book of 2 Corinthians, we have the, the, the book of the Acts talks about Paul's persecution, but it's the book of 2 Corinthians, hands down, talks about Paul's persecution. I mean, there's just many chapters. This is just one little snippet right here. So Christ said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. 
for power is perfected in weakness. The, the key word you see in all these, and this is important, we're going to talk about this some other time in the future, is weakness. We can feel weak. That, that word appears, what, three or four times here. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. I, I think I've said that before. I, I don't know if I'm there yet. Am I going to boast because I feel weak today? That's incredible. Then he goes on to say, Therefore, I'm well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecution, with difficulties for Christ's sake. There it is, for Christ's sake, remember? For when I'm weak, then I am strong. God will give us all the grace, and that's an equivalent word for strength. God will give you all the grace and all the strength and all the peace you need to go through all the things that he sovereignly has you go for, go through for him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. We bless you for this truth you have given to us here today. And, 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 and we thank you, Lord, for the, the peace we have in this, this country. We read in 1 Timothy 2 that it's good to pray for our leaders so we might have peace to be able to share the gospel. Indeed, you have answered that prayer time and time and time again for 250 years and really longer in this country. We thank you for that. And we want to keep praying. Pray for our leaders. This country's got some problems. We pray for our leaders. God, pray that you would do what you want in this country to give us peace. But if not, we accept it from you. So, Father, we ask you to help us to be the people you want us to be, each one of us here, our, 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 our families, Lord, our children, our grandchildren, Lord. I pray for Bethel, Lord. I, I, I thank you for them and so much for them here. And and just how even they're helping to fix this place up, Lord. But thank you more so for their heart, their spirit, their love for you, their love for the gospel. But just want to uh, commit our lives to pray for Kenny. Uh, Lord, had pneumonia. I think he still has it. He's in the hospital a day or two, but he's getting better. We thank you for that. Just pray for his well-being and others who aren't feeling good as well. I know there's others in this church, some who aren't here today because of how they feel. But we but commit our lives to use us, God. For your purposes, use us for the gospel. We ask you for that. This church in Bethel, we thank you that we can be your servants and thank you that we can be used again for your purposes and glory. Thank you for Bob Hunt coming next week. I pray for your blessing on that time as well. And so commit all this to you now. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple things here. Um, Bob Hunt is coming. The message, I, I, he didn't send me a title, but I know what it's about. Um, we are, in fact, we're going on, on, on over Revelation 13 on Wednesday nights, and this is on the false prophet. Remember the, your prophecy, you have the Antichrist, and his sidekick, his partner, is the false prophet. He's like the propaganda. He's like the Joseph Goebbels, you know, with Hitler. That's who this, this false prophet is, and this very important information. He's the one that says we need to get this mark of the beast. He's the one that says people need to worship the image. That's our subject. So I encourage you to come. Invite friends as well for that time. One final thing is, is as you know, it's Valentine's Day. It may be a, a big thing for some of you or a small thing for others of you. But I put a bunch of verses back there. There's six pages of verses, over 100 verses on God's love from Old Testament, New Testament. I encourage you to pick up one of those packets. I have some extras. So if you've got a friend, you want to take one extra, fine. Uh, there's, more, there's more than enough for to take that. But I would encourage you that we need to be encouraged and strengthened by the love of God. I, I love that verse in Psalm 90, verse 14. Satisfy me in the morning with your unfailing love that I might sing for joy and be glad all my days. You've got to be satisfied by God's love. If not, you'll look for something else. You understand that? So get those verses in God's love and go over them. Let your heart be refreshed by them. Thank you.
So <clears throat> Wednesday we've got our Bible study time, uh, Revelation 13. This is part four they're going through. So 6.45 on Wednesday if you're able to come out. And then not next Sunday but the Sunday after, the 25th will be Matthew meal. So a couple of Sundays out before we get together for our meal after church. Keep that in mind. And as uh, Steve said, uh, keep Kenny in your prayers. He was in the hospital for pneumonia, but he's home and recovering, so keep praying for Kenny Cooper. And then as I mentioned prayer, I will remind you that we do have a prayer chain here at church, so if you have a prayer requests to um, reach out to, uh, I think Evelyn is one person to reach out to, to get that on the prayer chain if you've got something you want to raise up. And also you can drop a note in the um, uh, box on the back table if you have a prayer that you want to be uh, uh, prayed over by the elders and so forth. So a couple ways to uh, uh, ask the Lord uh, through other people through prayer. And now we have our last songs and offering. Um, the box on the back table you can use. You can mail in an offering or give online. Thank you. <laughs> 